Well, good morning, church. I've been blessed this morning just to, to be singing God's praises with, with you and with our worship team. I, I thank God for our worship teams and just the song selection just, I think, went so well with uh, what I'm going to be preaching on. I, I so appreciate that. I, I appreciated Jeff's prayer as well uh, in that he prayed for the grandparents that are here uh, that we would continue to teach. And, but I do take issue with one thing. He says, in your old age. <laughs> I, I thought that was like, ooh, that's the first time I've ever heard that be said about me, in my old age. Well, thank God for the gray-headed, right? I mean, we're, we're, to, we're to rejoice in our old age. You know, we, we, don't, we don't fret getting old. We, we love getting old. We love having grandkids. And, and uh, so I thank God for that prayer, brother. Thanks. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 34 this morning. And, you know, when you look at this psalm, it, it's really a, a psalm about the goodness of God in adversity. The goodness of God in adversity. And I can, I can say with pretty certainty that each one of us, each one of us have, have experienced some form of adversity. Isn't that true? We've all had it. And guess what? We're probably going to have it even more. And that's, that is the lot of what we go through in this life. There's always adversity. And, and more particularly, David is speaking here, and, and he's explaining some things to us about the adversity and how he deals with adversity. And so that's what I want us to remember as we go ahead and, and, uh, and go through this psalm this morning. So if you would, let's go ahead and read Psalm 34, um, beginning at verse 1, actually before verse 1. Psalm 34, this is the word of the Lord. Of David... When he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, 
the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves, saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, just as a, as a weak vessel, Lord, I pray that you would fill me, or that you would empower me to, to proclaim the truth of your word, Lord, as, as we walk through this psalm together as a church, Lord, I pray that it, it would give us illumination to, to who you are and your goodness, Lord, that we would be a people who, who taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, I pray that we would have application that as we go through the trials that, that we will face in this life, that we would remember this psalm and that we would apply these truths, that we would be people who are, are praising you continually, who are, who are fearing you in your holiness, who are, who are trusting you in your goodness. Lord, I thank you again for this morning as we have been worshiping you. I pray that, again, you would be blessed as, Lord, our people are turned to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, I think there's no doubt that each and every one of us have had times that, that we have been stressed by different things. I mean, it could be your marriage, it could be uh, a relationship, it could be your finances, um, it could be with somebody we care about, that, that we love people, it could be uh, your spouse, it could be your children. Uh, but one of the things is often when we go through these things is we can be we can be gripped with fear. We can be so fearful and we can forget that the Lord is with us. And, you know, me going back some 30 years ago, I, I went through one of the, the greatest trials that, that I had gone through uh, in my life as a believer. And, and it was a time that, that I was calling out to him and I was on my knees and I was, I was in, in one sense, I was trying to trust him. But in another sense, I was often trying to think, thinking through and being tempted to, I, I need to take this into my own hands, and I need to deal with this. And so I, I knew that. And when, when you look at the Psalms, the, the Psalms are, are often written to us in our adversity. And they often write about those hardships and those trials. And why is it? I think it's because these are, these are the themes in our lives. These are the themes. These are the things that, that strike us to the heart. And so they're difficult things. And so we'll all go through adversity and we'll go through tri trials. And sometimes the adversity is a simple thing, right? Like a, a cold or the flu. Other times it, it, it's harder. Maybe a, a frustration or, uh, at work or, or your kids, you're, you're having a bad day with them. Or then it can be even worse, the, the loss of a family member, terminal illness, a rebellious child, a, a financial hardship. And, and, and you could ask yourself today, what, what is it that, I, that I'm going through? And Psalm 34 is helpful. Psalm 34 is helpful. This, this psalm was, was written in one of David's most difficult times. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the beginning of the psalm. He says this. He says, of David, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out 
and he went away. And so what is he talking about? And this is important because what this does is it provides the context and the purpose for this psalm. And, and what David is referring to is the trouble that he had in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter, I'm, I'm, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And when you look at 1 Samuel, you know it's, it's mainly about the life of David. And in, in, in 1 Samuel in chapter 16, you have David being anointed king. And then in chapter 17, he, he, he kills Goliath. And so David is a, a young man at this point, and, and now he's fleeing from Saul. Why is he fleeing from Saul? Because Saul is jealous. And what are they singing about David and Saul? Saul has what? Struck down his thousands? And David, his ten thousands. And so David is, is fleeing from Saul. And, and what he does is he, he, he goes to a city called Gath. Gath is the hometown of Goliath. He goes to the city of Gath. And it, it, it's significant because this is the, the, the Philistine giant that David had killed, hometown. And David walks in, into Gath. And, and he's probably trying to be anonymous. He's like, People don't know who I am. I'm just this young, this young man. And, and he's trying to be anonymous. And David underestimates his popularity. And people start recognizing him. So he's there in Gath. And we'll pick it up in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21. And it says this. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Echish. Just stop there for a moment. Because in our passage, in, in, in Psalm chapter uh, 34, it says Abimelech, right? So Abimelech is a title. It's like Pharaoh is a title. So Abimelech is the title, but his name is Echish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one, an one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, so that he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then verse 1 of 22, he says, David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. But David is there. He's, he's trying to disguise himself. They find him out. And what does David do? He acts like a, a madman, and, he, and he, he scratches the door, and he lets, he lets his spit run down his beard. And they think he's, he's crazy, and because of that, basically, uh, Abimelech, the king, lets him go. Let's him go, and David flees from there, and, and he, he, he runs to the, and he escapes to the, uh, the cave of Adullam. And in 1 Samuel 22, the text tells us that it's there that David's family comes. David's family comes there, and they, they, they come to comfort him, and he's joined by others. Chapter 22, verse 2, it says, and, and everyone who is in distress... Everyone who is in distress and everyone who, who was in debt and everyone who, has, uh, who was bitter in soul gathered him. And it says that there was 400 people 
And they're all gathered to David there, this, this great group. And, and this is where David probably wrote Psalm 34 in this cave. And it's a, it's a psalm that he's not just writing about his own experience. He's actually writing to instruct the Israelites who are there, those people that he's there to, to encourage. And here David is, is living in, in a cave. And instead of wallowing in, in his sadness, he's, instead of throwing a, a pity party, He's teaching and he's redirecting their eyes off of their, themselves and, and their own focuses, and he's focusing them on God. That's what he's doing in the psalm. And, and, and what we're going to see in this, in this passage is, is, is four actions for us as believers to take in the midst of our troubles. Four actions that we can take in the midst of our troubles. And the first one, and this is your first point in your notes, is in your troubles, praise the Lord. In your troubles, praise the Lord. That was David's first response to adversity. He says in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So immediately, David is, is not focusing on himself, but he's, he's teaching them to focus on, on the Lord. And the first, what, what he says in verse 1 is what? Praise the Lord continually. How many of us find that to be easy in the midst of trouble? No, I think when, when we go through trials, our, our tendency is to, to try to figure out how to fix it. But David is saying, no, you know, I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm not going to let this distract me from what is most important. That's, that's why I said I, I love the songs that we, that we had this morning because they were really truly praising the Lord and, and we come together and we, and we praise the Lord at all times. So praise doesn't end when, when times get tough. He goes on, he says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, David is resolved uh, to continue praising in the, in the face of, of his trouble. This is, this is a good word for us who are often so fickle in our, in our praise, aren't we? We go through something and we just, we, we are so back and forth and many times we are not trusting the Lord. David calls us to, to praise. And so I have to ask you, when do praises, when do praises stop in, in your life? When do you stop praising the Lord? You have to, to recognize that. To say, you know, you know what, in the midst of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you no matter what the circumstances are. Because don't we serve a, a God who is good? We serve a God who is good, and His goodness can overcome any of our, of our circumstances. Do we not serve a, a loving God? Can God not con- conquer those experiences where we are not experiencing love from others? Do we not serve a, a sovereign God? Is He not sovereign over the things that, that we are going through in our lives? No, do we not serve a saving God? His salvation can surely rescue us from, from every trouble that we have. No, there's never a situation so low in this life where we cannot still lift our voices to sing God's praises. No, I remember... Some 23 years ago, my, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And my mother, after her conversion to Christ, 
you know, she, she was, it, it was later in life. It, in some ways, it was hard to, to change her ways. I mean, she would attend church periodically, and, and we were always trying to encourage her, come, come, come. And then cancer hits. Unexpectedly, at the age of 60 years old, And I can remember, I can remember my mom being there. It was adversity. It was adversity that drove my mom to come and to praise the Lord. And I can remember her. She lost her hair. She had a scarf on her head, coming in the, the congregation of the people and, and worshiping. And there was this one song that was was popular at that time at our church. It was called Joy in the Journey. And I could see my mom embodying that. You know, I'm, I'm praising the Lord. I'm going to have joy in my journey. You know, sadly, but joyfully, my mom passed away. And, but my point is that that adversity drove her, drove her to praise and brings us to our second part of this point. Praise, we need to praise the Lord in, in humility. We don't praise God just when things are going well. No, we praise God when things are tough. He says in verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David doesn't say, look at my great performance with Achish the king. That's what, that's what delivered me from his hand. No, he says, my boast is in the Lord. David wants most is in his troubles to boast in the Lord and to, to praise him, not himself. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, in his weakness, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Are you content with your weaknesses? Are you content with your trials? Because he says, I am content with weaknesses with insults, with hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sadly, we are not often content with our weaknesses. We need to conquer those weaknesses. We need to overcome those weaknesses. Notice how he responds. He says, let the humble hear. David says, let the humble hear and be glad. You know, we have to realize that prideful people are not excited to, to praise the Lord. No, prideful people what, want to boast in themselves. They don't want to hear about how God is good in the midst of their adversity. We don't, we don't expect the, the proud to follow Christ, do we? Are, aren't we a, a humble people? <laughs> We're a humble people. We, we, we realize that we are bankrupt that we have nothing in ourselves to author, that, and then everything that we do have is what? It's a gift. It's a gift from Him. You know, Paul says that at one point, he says, I worked harder than all the other apostles, but he says, not, not I, but Christ through me. Even in those things that we find ourselves, that we think, oh, you know, I'm being very successful in this, it's because of God's grace to us. You know, it's about Him, and you know, I like what it it says in Revelation 5, it says, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who, 
who was slain. Remember that, that scene, John is like, is there anybody to take the scroll? And, and, and he looks and, and John starts to weep. There's nobody. There's nobody worthy. No, there is one. There's one who is worthy, and it's, it's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, regarding this humility, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, those who recognize their, their desperate state understand their, their desperate need, don't they? But second, or thirdly, though, so we praise the Lord continually. We, we praise Him in humility, but also we praise the Lord together. That's what got me excited this morning as we were singing. You know, I remember some 25 plus years ago at our previous church, there was a couple that were part of our parenting ministry. They were actually leading the parenting ministry, and Penny and I, when our children were, were younger, were part of that ministry, and their names were Danny and, and Tracy Schauacher. And they led this ministry, and, and Danny you know, was a, a, a great man. He, he, he loved God, and, and he got laid off. He got laid off, and you have to start cutting back when you don't have funds, right? And so one of the things he did is he, he stopped paying his life insurance. And he found out that he would, shortly thereafter, he found out that he had cancer. No life insurance, cancer. I can remember visiting Danny at the hospital and praying for him. And, and the very day that, that Danny passed away, you know, we had church in the evening uh, there, and that evening, Tracy, his wife, shows up. He, he just passed away earlier in that day, and, and, he show, and she shows up, and, and I remember her being asked, like, what, what are you doing here? And her response is, was, where can I go? Where can I go? No, I, I, I need to worship. I need to worship. She knew. She knew that in, in, the, in the difficulty, in the adversity that she was going through, that God was, was still good. And she knew that, that she needed to be with other people because we do not belong to a, to a singular faith, that we all have this individual faith. No, we belong to a faith that we belong to one another. Sadly, there's there's a trend in, in the lives of, of Christians that are, are, are taking more of an individualistic approach. There's churches that, that want to tailor worship to, uh, to the individual ra rather than corporate worship and praise together. You know, and sometimes songs are being developed that, that are, are preaching to that, that individual's own felt needs. You know, and sadly, I think there are a lot of people who are inclined to, to use their podcasts and their playlists to be their church. You know, I, I listen to this preacher online. I listen to these songs online or on my iPhone. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should never listen to other people's podcasts. I, I do that. But not at the expense of gathering with you. God, Jesus said that he would build his church. 
The church are the called out ones. They are those who are are brought into a, a community of people. That's what the church means. No, David says, look what David says. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Remember, there's 400 people at the cave. David is writing this. What were these people? They were the downcasts. They were the, the ones going through trials. They, they, they were the ones who were, who, who were in debt. And he says, hey, let us exalt the name of the Lord together. Can we do that? We exalt the name of the Lord together. No, as I said, I'm not saying that we should never worship alone. During that time of my mom's um, cancer and, 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 and in her passing, I, I can remember specifically an album that I would listen to over and over again. And it was so ministering to me personally. And some of those songs that I would sing on that album are, are some of my favorite songs today because of that. So I'm not saying that we don't do that. But we have to understand that coming and, and worshiping together is what God calls us to. Praising God with you is the most beautiful thing. And I was thinking about this. This is, this is our practice. And what I mean by that is we're practicing for the future, aren't we? Because there's a day, Revelation 19 says, there's a day that we will be gathered with people from every tongue and tribe and nation. We're not going to be individuals, are we? (laughs) There's only one who's going to be at the center of attention. And we're going to sing, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So we're practicing here. I mean, just think of it that way. Let, Let our eyes be taken off ourselves, and and let us, like David, fix our our praise together on the Lord. Amen? Secondly, though, so in your troubles, praise the Lord. Secondly, in your troubles, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And we we seek the Lord because He delivers. Verse 4 says this, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. I think sometimes when we're, we're going through trials, we, we, we don't know for certain that the Lord completely understands what we're going through. We don't, you know, God is holy. He's perfect. He doesn't, he doesn't know our, our sins. He doesn't know our, our weaknesses. Isaiah 53 says that he bore our weaknesses. He bore our sorrows. He bore our sins. He knows them. He, he's taken them on himself. The writer of Hebrews says, we, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the, the throne of grace that we might, uh, may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. No, we will always find help in our time of need as we seek the Lord. Verse 6 says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all, <clears throat> all his troubles. This is David's reason for his praise, and God is faithful to, to deliver. But there, as I said, there's so many things that, that we can turn to and we can seek after that we think are going to be our help rather than the Lord. David says in Psalm 20, he says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, 
They, those who trust in chariots and horses, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. That's us. We, we can call on the Lord. We can, we can be vi- victorious in Christ. We, we seek the Lord because He delivers, but we also seek the Lord because He protects. Look at verse 7. He says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and, and delivers them. Do you realize that there's a protection all around us? That whole idea of, a, of an encampment is a... Is a, a Soldiers being encamped around the people of God. It says the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. So there's a protection. And what David's point is that God surrounds us with His protection. And it's interesting. He says the angel of the Lord. And we know that the angel of the Lord in in other parts of the Old Testament is a a pre-incarnate picture of Christ. And so it's Christ himself who is encamped around his, his people. You know, Jeff read early that, that he will, what, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's always with us to the very end of the age. You know, we, we look to him, and, and if you look to him, you, you won't be ashamed. We cry to him, and he hears and saves us out of all his trouble. You know, there's always a reason to, to praise the Lord. And, and so we praise him in the midst of adversity. And, and this is, as I said, it's hard. It's unordinary, but it's, it's supernatural, isn't it? You know, we're not, get, we're not going to praise and honor the Lord in the midst of our, our adversary unless we, we know Him, unless we experienced Him, unless the Holy Spirit indwells us. We're not going to know who the Lord is. So, secondly, we, we need to seek the Lord. But thirdly, in your troubles, fear the Lord. In your troubles, fear the Lord. And in this section, David really becomes the preacher. And he's going he's gonna to preach to not only himself, but also these 400 people, and by extension, us. And, and Charles Spurgeon calls this the sermon in the psalm. It's the sermon in the psalm. And there, there are many exhortations here. But, but I don't want you to miss that there's a motivation behind fearing the Lord, and it's, it's His goodness. There's a motivation, and it's His goodness. He, in, in verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And, and David is, is not saying, try it, and maybe you'll like it. It's not like you're going to Costco or, or Sam's Club and and you go take this sample and you go, oh, I, I like that one. And then I go over to this one and I'm like, oh, not going not, not to buy that. No, what David is saying is that there's a surety that if you taste of the Lord, if you know the Lord, you're going to know that he, is, that he is good. And I like that he says taste and see. How many of you guys like watching the great British baking show? <laughs> Some of you probably do, right? Or there's other, there's other food programs that you like, right? Isn't it weird? We can never taste. <laughs> All you can do is see. You're watching this and you're going, oh, that looks great. And you have to take the word of those three judges that it tastes good. But we love it. But when you taste of the Lord, 
you see that the Lord is good. You know that the Lord is good. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, faith is, is the soul's taste. Faith is the soul's taste. They who test the Lord by their confidence always find him good, and they become themselves blessed. You know, looking back, I've had my share of trials. I've had my share of trials, and, and each and every one of them, I tend to get a little fearful, a little anxious. I don't always handle them the way that I should. But I know this, that every single trial that I've ever been through, I poured out my heart to the Lord. <laughs> and I've seen him to be good. And that's true of things that don't work out our way. I mean, the death of my mother. Wait a second. Your mom died. How can, how can the Lord be good? Because the Lord's always good. You know, the Lord is always good. I mean, Psalm 119, 68 says, you are good and you, and you do good. Psalm 31, verse 19 says, how great is your goodness. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord for, for he is good. So when your finances are, are bad, God is, is good. When your health is bad, God is good. When your parents, when your kids are bad, God is good. When your attitude at work is, is bad, God is, is good. The question for us is, do we believe it? And the way we taste it is we, we draw near to him in faith, saying, God, I believe that you're good, and I believe that you're going to, to see me through this. And I can say, Lord, your will be done because I know that you're good. You know, in the midst of David's trouble, in the midst of his trial, David emphasizes the importance of fear, and he says uh, in verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And there's a promise again. In verse 9, he says, for those who fear him have no lack. Again, there's the fear of God and, and his goodness tied together. He says in verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The young lions in, 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 in the nation of Israel at this time, they were probably the most self-sufficient. All the other farm animals, what? They had to be cared for. The young lions are those who go out and take their prey. They're, they're self-sufficient, but... But David is saying, even they lack. They lack. But you're in a better position than they are. And notice that in this section, he begins in verse 9. He says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And so he's talking to the saints there. But in our second part, he says, in verse 11, he, he changes there, where we see fear of the Lord in, in, in obedience. And, he, and David moves from the saints who are the children of God, to, to really the young people. And I think this is, is good. He says in verse 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I, you know, I love this because, you know, David is the exalted king. He's, he's the anointed king. He's, he's a warrior. And it, but he didn't find it below himself to, to teach the young. Just like our Lord. What did our Lord say? Don't stop the children from... From coming to me. But what David teaches them is, the, he teaches them the fear of the Lord. And sadly, as we, as we look at our political leaders today, we don't, we don't see anybody teaching us to fear the Lord. In fact, 
quite the opposite. Don't fear the Lord. You have nothing to fear. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he writes this. He says, David was a famous musician, a statesman, a soldier, but he does not say to the children, I will teach you to play the harp or to handle a sword or spear or to draw a bow or I will teach you the maxims of state policy. No, he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord, which is better than all the arts and sciences, better than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Do we believe that? This is just an encouragement. I, I remember as a, as a young parent, this, this statement, are you, are you teaching, are you, are you getting your children prepared for Harvard or for heaven? Harvard or for heaven? And what, are you, what are you most con- concerned about, parents, in your, in your children's lives? Are you most concerned with their social skills or their academic achievement or their athletic accomplishments? Are those the things? I mean, I know that we, we invest money in those things, don't we? And I'm not saying we did. I, I know we invested in those things as well. We, we, had, we had tutors. We invested in them playing sports. And, and, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but often I think that what we do as Christians is we make a, those things that are less of a priority, priority a higher priority. We need to make the fear of the Lord the highest priority with our children. Deuteronomy 6, Father, says this. He says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And we need to be teaching them to love God and to keep His commandments. We know David, we know by the life of David, David wasn't necessarily a great father, but he did teach to fear the Lord. And one of his sons, Solomon, at the end of his life, after Solomon had went his way and Solomon comes to the end of his life, he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's what we need to be teaching our children because it applies to, to every person. And something, something that Solomon probably heard regularly from, a, from his father And then David gives us a a very brief picture of what fear looks like in verse 13. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Love God. Seek peace. Keep keep your mouth from telling lies. And we we need to fear God, brothers and sisters. We need to have a holy reverence for him. Because he's holy and, you know, again, going back to Jeff and welcoming newcomers, we believe that God is holy and we are sinners and and therefore he stands above us. We need to fear God. And lastly, our last point is in your troubles, in your troubles, trust the Lord. And in the first 14 verses of this psalm, we're really kind of seeing David's perspective and now he turns to to the Lord's perspective 
And our first subpoint is trust the Lord because he knows your affliction. Trust the Lord because he knows your affliction. Verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Now, who are the righteous in this? They're the ones that David has been describing. They are those who have faith, those who who praise God for for his deliverance. They are those who who fear God and, and keep his commandments those who trust God for, for their salvation. And there are those who, who the Lord's eyes are fixed on. Do you realize that if you are His, that the Lord's eyes are fixed on you? Those who the Lord's ears are attentive to, to, to hear your cry. Do you realize that, that we should never not cry out to God when we're going through something? Because in doing so, we are saying that we believe that He is listening to us. You know, I was talking to a, one of my coworkers recently, and, and he, he's kind of struggling with some things at work, and, and I was just trying to encourage him, and I'm talking to him, and I'm, you know, hey, I, I want to share what I think is best. And, I, and as a Christian, as a Christian I, I, I want them to understand that that I can sympathize with them and their weaknesses, but, but it's hard when they don't see their weaknesses. And so one of the things I, you know, I, I'll share is, look, I know, I know my weaknesses. Do you know your weaknesses? We don't want to say, hey, that's not my, no, this is my weakness. And so I'm talking to them, you know, oh, I, I'm, you know I, I'm weak in this area. I mean, they all know I'm a pastor, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be as honest as I can be, Right? I'm weak in this area. And, and sadly, he's, he's like, no, I can do this. I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. Quit trying to help me. No, that's not the way we, we want to be. When God looks down from heaven, he isn't looking for those who are trusting in their, their own ability, in their own charisma, their own strength, or, or their own works. He's looking for the righteous, those who who recognize their need and cry out to Him in faith. No, we, we trust the Lord be, because He knows your affliction. But, but lastly, we trust the Lord for our redemption. And I, I love this in, in this in this psalm. Verse 19 says, Many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. There, there can be relationship afflictions, there can be financial afflictions, there can be health, health afflictions. But one affliction that I think is so often overlooked is, is our self-afflictions, our sin. And when we live in a way that dishonors God, what, what does God do if, he, if you are one of His? He disciplines those He loves, and He, he scourges every son whom He receives. We, we go through these things, and these are our self-afflicted things. And David says here, but, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And, you know, how is that the case? How does God deliver the righteous from, from their afflictions? Because it's, it's not always in this life, is it? You know, Jesus said in this life, what, you have tribulation. This life, that's this life right now. 
You have tribulation. But he says, take heed. I've overcome this life. And I think you get a glimpse of his deliverance just simply in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And I think this, we know that later on in, in the New Testament, as, as, as Christ is on the cross, this is spoken of him as pertaining to him, that none of his bones would be broken. But it says the righteous, their bones won't be broken. And anybody here have a bone broken? <laughs> I have. Does that disqualify me? <laughs> no. No, because I think in some sense it's, it's pointing to, to, to Christ who is to come. And in verse, 20, verse 21, he says, Affliction will slay the wicked. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So he's, he's now talking about condemnation and, 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 and redemption. He says in verse 22, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That reminds me of Romans, right? Chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, David is giving us God's perspective, and it's a big picture of, of his plan of salvation. And this is what, what God does when we cry to him. And we have to understand that we're afflicted in many ways, but what is our greatest affliction? Our greatest affliction is indwelling sin. Our greatest affliction is indwelling sin. And God saw our, our poor and afflicted state, and he, and he sent a righteous Redeemer, the Son of David. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake, for our sake, He made him to be sin. For our sake, he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who are the righteous? There are those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and, and we know that Jesus Christ, we have been afflicted, but, but Jesus Christ, he experienced the greatest affliction, didn't he? He experienced the greatest adversity for our sake, and he, he humbled himself to the point of death, even, even death on a cross. And Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No, this is what Jesus... Christ does for his people. Now, he is the ultimate redeemer, the righteous redeemer, the fulfillment of God's promises to redeem the life of his, of his servants. It is only in Christ that we can trust God for our full deliverance. So, in our troubles, in our troubles, we praise him. In our troubles, we, we seek him. And in our troubles, we fear him. And lastly, in our troubles, we trust him completely. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your, your word. What a gift it is to us who believe. Lord, we thank you for the life of David and his trust in you. Your word tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. And we thank you for 
his kingship. Lord, we thank you for his love for you and his writing of these psalms. Lord, I pray that we would put these truths to the test and show that and taste that you are good. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any need, the elders are going to be up front. Please come forward and have them pray for you.